0: SAFM leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhe Somabepe on, on SAFM. We are talking this evening to Ms. Mora Jarvis, Associate Director, People and Organization Division at PwC. You would know what PwC means, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Work preference studies that they have since issued earlier in March The report provides an overview of what young people are looking for from prospective employers. The survey includes 12 focus areas which, among them, can affect the decisions of job seekers when making their final selections among potential employers. If you like, it is when beggars become choosers. Beggars only in the context, well, you still want the job. Now you're exercising a few options, as it were said, tongue in cheek. I don't at all mean to disrespect any employment seeking person. Good evening, Miss Jarvis. How are you? Thank
1: you, and thanks for the opportunity to chat to you.
0: Appreciate your being here. Let's talk first of all about the study, the terms of reference and what PwC was looking to establish on the other side of the work that it started.
1: Right, perfect. So this is a survey that has been running in um, Hungary for a number of years and when we found out in the South African practice that this was a survey that it was available, we thought the information one would be able to gain from this type of initiative would be really informative employers so that they were able to understand what it is that the job seeker, as well as the current employees, are looking for when they make a decision around which organization to join, Um, particularly when you're looking at um, scarce skills, which is an issue in South Africa. Um, How do you become that employer of choice when people, for example, have a myriad of options to choose from? And also, not only that, but also how do you make sure that you are going to have a motivated and engaged workforce for the people who are currently working with you? So the terms of reference were really around trying to understand what those preferences are and what drives people's decisions to either join organization A or organizational B. I
0: mean, of course, when we talk about preferences, it assumes there are a couple of options on the table and then it's just a question of finding personal similarity or characteristics that resonate with the individual in opting for a particular organization. How much of those preferences in the course of the study were live accounts of people in terms of their actual experiences? I'm asking this question because I know the job market is somewhat very strained, given the fact that many employers are not in a position to hire as much as they would, if at all. And in Mm. some instances, which is terrible, of course, they've had to offload employees. That Mm. makes the task of being a job seeker that much more arduous. Now, would the responses have come from people who are in employment or people who are seeking employment?
1: So it was a a cross-section. The survey was open to anybody who wanted to complete it. So we had people completing the survey that were working full-time. We had people that were currently still studying in higher education and in vocational um, settings. And we had people that completed the survey that were not working either, as well as people who were working part-time. So it was quite a cross-section of the population that actually completed the survey. Uh, But obviously the highest majority of those did fall in the category of people who were currently working.
0: Okay, let's, let's get to the meat of this. The terms of reference you just sort of touched on, what were the key areas that were the focus on, what are the questions, and more importantly, what were the results? So an overview of this report before we really get into the nitty gritties.
1: Sure, so the survey looked at 12 main focus areas um, and it looked at things like um, career opportunities, it explored the company culture, how how important was that for people, the reputation of the company, so that would be the external brand of the organisation, what uh, the everyday work would look like in that environment whether the organization offered the opportunity for people to work uh, abroad or to have experience or attend conferences and workshops um, overseas, looking at benefits, looking at pay, also having a look at what the people were like that worked in the organization, then that from a leadership perspective as well as from the peers that you would interact with. It looked at The amount of professional development and personal development that the employer is offering, the physical work environment, which, you know, that has changed quite considerably over the last period of time, Um, looking at transparency within the business and transparency around a lot of the business processes. And then the final one was to look at what was the organization's view on, on work and life balance. So those, those were the 12 elements that we focused on. And then what the survey did is it asked participants a number of questions um, regarding those 12 elements. And then because it was a preference survey, it mm-hmm. actually asked people to rank those in in order of importance to them. So you may have chosen five of those as being your top five factors that you felt would drive your decision, Mm -hmm. but then it was also asking people to put it in a ranking order um, so that then you can get to to see what, what people are willing to trade off in order to, you know, have benefit A. So I may have chosen, you know, Sort of example, pay and bonuses and career development, etc. But I think where the real value comes in is not just saying well, how important, you know, is it important to you, um, it's also saying how important is that to you. And um, I think that's really where the value of, of the information that came out of the study lies.
0: I'm looking at the executive summary, and of course, then we're going to go through after the break the ranking system, and I'm just going to quickly go through it for those who just might have missed one or two things, but also just to predicate the conversation after the short ad break with Ms. Mora Jarvis, who's the associate director, people and organization division at PwC. So number one came in as flexible work, schedule and time, pay base, of course, very important. Three, what that is, work that is interesting and challenging. Four, four, performance-based promotion with credible and fair performance evaluation. Five, open and honest leadership. Six, business stroke technical skills training. Seven, teamwork and cooperation, digital skills development, physical work environment that promotes well-being. Ten, career opportunities within the company, outside your home country. Coming in at ten, I would have hoped or even thought among younger people it would rank possibly higher. Anyway, eleven, social impact of your work and a career break, the so-called sabbatical we're going to get into some of these issues and why in these times some of them were either a surprise or confirming a hunch that PwC in the commissioning of this report might have had. Of course, you're more than welcome to contribute your thoughts in terms of what is important to you as you sit at home insofar as it relates to your work and your employer and employment at large. And if you are a job seeker, what are you looking for specifically? After the break, we do take your calls. Johannesburg 714-2006. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapepe on SAFM. On the topic of work preference study, PwC's Workforce Preference Study issued earlier this month is now the point of discussion with Ms. Maura Jarvis, Associate Director, People and Organization Division at PwC. The top twelve work preferences among young South African workers. Let's start with the first one. Why is it important? I can get a sense as to why I think it is important from my perspective. But generally, what was the underlying sentiment where the majority ranked number one flexible work schedule and work time as one as the most important preference? maura So I think uh, I think as you correctly say, as away,
1: it's. Um, I don't think it's an unexpected finding. And I think on the back of the whole COVID pandemic where people have had a lot more flexibility in terms of flexible work scheduling and ways of work, I think that it was predictable that this was going to come up. And I think with the younger entrance into the working environment, there is definitely a requirement to have a greater deal of ownership over how they structure their working life Um, and their work time very much output driven um, and wanting organisations to trust them to be able to deliver what they need to deliver but not that that has to happen necessarily between an eight and five routine um, and taking more um, cognizance of the fact that different people work well in different ways. So for example, You know, you may be a morning person who can very easily get going early in the morning and you do your best work, you know, most probably in the first four or five hours of the day. And so to start work early would suit you. Um, Other people may have just different biorhythms and would say, look, you know, I'm not much used to anyone before sort of half past nine and I've had at least three cups of coffee. So I want my working environment to be able to be, accommodating of that I'm still going to produce the outputs that are required but I'm wanting you to see me as an individual and I'm wanting you to have the flexibility in the way that you structure the working environment to take into account let's say my needs as an individual as well as some other um, commitments that I may have and we saw quite a lot of that during COVID where we had parents at home, working from home, children not at school, and they just had other commitments that made getting to an 8 o'clock meeting very difficult for them because they needed to get their children going on homeschooling, as an example. So very much a a requirement of my work my way, but I do think with an appreciation that there would always be sort of core hours that need to happen within any working uh, environment, but just that, and I think it's also a mindset that, that the youth are looking for, mm-hmm. is that there's more than one way of doing things and that that is reflected in the organization and their people practices.
0: Those core hours to which you refer as almost like the base of still within this flexible work schedule, important because at least when a manager or or anybody within the work within the employment is looking for another person, they know certainly between, say, 10 and 14 hours, the, mm. that critical four-, five-hour period is when they can find somebody. I'm not mm. necessarily a morning person, so you're not going to find as, or at nine, mm. but you can find him at 18 hours in the evening because he works well into the night, so to speak. That 10 to 14 is important, but at the same time, do you not feel it has eaten into other social spaces uh, this flexible work schedule this is what i pro- this is what i suggest yeah. for me i would go to work sure it wasn't my preference to be at work at eight thirty, nine o'clock but i was there anyway mm. and i was leaving at just about a time where i thought this is really where i should be getting on but because it's late sometimes relying on public transport or because of other things that started other times gym sport mm. whatever i leave at five in the evening mm.
1: Mm. Look, now, sorry, 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 sorry.
0: Yes. F- some would be disrupted by the traditional hours, and some are equally disrupted by the flexible hours because now it's difficult to get into a routine. For instance, no Monday to Monday are the same, no Thursday to Wednesday are the same. And because of these indifferent patterns, you find that there isn't a rhythm that one in- enjoys. And because there's no rhythm, because work is a lot about rhythm the productivity levels might not necessarily be as much. Even so, there is, and I make the concession, in some instances some organizations have proven that productivity has gone up because the less policing there is, the less formalization of work, and just leaving people to their devices and just giving them deadlines, they come back and come back with some interest. Mm -hmm. Is there something that was fascinating about what I've said that is consistent with some of the work that you have found, or quite the opposite?
1: Uh, yeah look absolutely. I think the first thing that you raise is around let's just talk around the infringement of 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 personal time, and I think that is one thing that we have seen with the flexibility. um I think we can all relate to the zoom fatigue that is you know sort of prevalent at the moment, and I think that um, what we did see um through the study, is that there there is a need to have clear boundaries in place from an organizational perspective. So when you're going to have flexible working practices, I think that there have to be some rules of engagement around where and when you can reach out and you can't reach out. So for example, if you are somebody who works later in the day, there need to be some rules of engagement that if you're somebody who likes to work until 10 or 11 o'clock at night, it can't be an expectation that if you send me an urgent email that there's any expectation that I'm going to respond to you at that time. So I think there are rules of engagement that need to be put in place by the organization around what's acceptable and what's not acceptable so that we do we do um, recognize and acknowledge boundaries and the fact that people do need an on and off time. So I think in terms of what you've raised, that I think that's one, that's one very um, important component of that. When you talk about leaving people to their own devices, I think a lot of leadership struggle with that because it's almost if I can't see you, are you actually going to be working? And mm. I think what we saw coming out of the survey is that, you know, trust and transparency is a, is a huge requirement from the youth in terms of people that they work for and organizations that they work for. So if you look at global trends at the moment, and if you have a look that in Europe and Spain at the moment, for example, they're trialing a four-day work week. Now, you know, that might sound like a ludicrous concept if you're coming from a very traditional mindset. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I were to put that question to you and say, if I asked you to work for four days of the week, but to really put your head down and go for it. And that means you could have a three-day weekend. But I still expect you to deliver exactly the same deliverables. Um, I mean, maybe just to put the question back at you, how would that resonate with you as somebody who was applying for a job? If an organization said to you, you can work a four-day work week, These are the deliverables mm. that we're going to trust you. Yeah to deliver what you need to deliver. It would absolutely
0: work because, I mean, as an individual who has a lot of business and family responsibility that often takes me out of the province to the Eastern Cape, I would thoroughly welcome that because it means I could do my work and do my radio in the evenings. And I know, for instance, at the end of my shift on a Thursday, I'm free then to start attending to family business outside the province. It would work for Songhez. Absolutely. And I don't know, of course, what the perspective of the employer in that sense would be and what their preferences would be. But the mere suggestion for me would be an absolute winner.
1: So now imagine you've got two job offers on the table and one is offering you that flexibility and the other one is offering you a standard Monday to Friday, 8 to 5.
0: Boring.
1: Um, Yes. And, And so I think the other thing is that what it tells you is that When an organization is open-minded and is looking at new ways of working and new practices, I can guarantee you that that's not the only thing they're open-minded about. They're going to have a very different culture. They're going to have a different approach to how they work rewards. So that openness and that inclusivity and that moving with the times is going to be something that you're going to find in all of their practices. So it mm. makes that company so attractive to join um, because there's a wow factor for mm. you. Um, and, and there may be people in that organization, Songhezo, who say, look, that doesn't work for me. I, you know, I'm not good with that. I would never get through what I need to do. So I think where the flexibility comes in is to say, well, then that's fine. If what works for Mora is that she needs to do a Monday to friday eight to five since she wants to clock for cough on Friday at office four and she doesn 't want to think about the office again until she clocks in again on Monday morning, then the organization has the flexibility to be able to absorb that and to to move with that so it 's talking a lot more around an agile process of mm. dealing with your people and I mean if you look at the world around us at the moment and just look at. things are changing, you know, from day to day, from week to week, you know, to have employment practices that are absolutely rigid and, you know, stuck in tradition of what worked 20 years ago, um, I think is short-sighted and it certainly is not going to make you an employer of choice who are looking at, you know, multiple job offers.
0: Here's what surprised me, coming in at 10th, the borderless workforce. I mean, I I, I don't speak for anybody else, but if you had asked me, your organization can also take you to go and work outside the country, not necessarily for an indefinite period of time, but every now and then you are guaranteed to spend two weeks outside the country, that is something that would have appealed to me because in many respects, it would have lent itself to the cultural evolution I would go through and just Mm. picking up skills, not necessarily because I'm doing something active, but by simply being in a different environment, you pick up a lot of other things, even Mm. nuanced things in different contexts than one would by simply going to the same workplace. Why would that have come through at the bottom, more specifically when you're engaging young South Africans on this? Mm.
1: So, so, I'm you must be under thirty, then I take it because um, <laughs> what the survey showed was that there is a much higher <laughs> preference for people under the age of thirty to be seeking that international mobility um, and a lot more open to to actually physically going to work in another location. What was interesting though, around the borderless world was that a lot of people, in order to have that experience prior, would need to relocate themselves, and sometimes for family reasons or personal reasons, they're not able to do that. With the borderless world, you are now able to engage with people, projects, clients, Mm, mm, cross-territory, without actually going through any form of upheaval to leave the country. Now, I'm with you. I'd be the first one saying, that sounds amazing. Let's go because it's not just about the job, but it's actually about the food and the culture and the traditions and all of that. So, as I say, we must both be under the age of 30. But, um, but I think for some people, that's just not an option. And also, from a cost perspective for organizations, it can be a costly exercise to run these for convents. So, what the, this flexible way of working and this globalization and technology has enabled is for people to be working on projects in different parts of the world and i know that i can talk forward in pwc is that the global interaction that we have had and has been created as a result of COVID, is that i'm working in multiple countries but i'm doing it all from my base in south africa um and so i think that's potentially why maybe people who are older don't have that flexibility have indicated they want the exposure but they don't necessarily want to have the physical move. There's something else that's interesting that came out of the survey, just when you talk around, um, you know, the plans to remain in the home country.
0: Mm.
1: And and that I also found interesting because I also anticipated that it would be higher. But in fact, what came back, and it's, it's probably an interesting stat for us to track year on year now as we go forward, is to say, 45% of the people who responded to the survey said that they were definitely going. Their long term plan was to remain in their home country, which tells us that 55% of them either said they weren't going to, or they weren't sure, or they didn't actually specify. So, you know, kind of undecided. Which I think for South Africa and for our skills market is quite a concerning statistic because that means that. Across all the age groups, we've got 55% of our skills base that could potentially be looking to move or are not sure that they are going to remain in South Africa over the longer period.
0: Yeah, and that's probably an indication of some of the systemic challenges that the country is facing, but let's not get into that. For those who (laughs) wish to engage the study and can find it, and to the extent that this is an ongoing research or project, how else can people engage this? Because the segment, of course, is limited on time.
1: Yes, sure. So it is on the PwC website. You can find it under www.pwc.co.za, and it is it will be under our latest insights, which should be on the landing page, as well as under the people and organization um, tab on, on the website. So the full report is available there for people to download. And of course, um, if there's anybody who would like to reach out um, and have any more detailed discussions, my, my contact details will be um, on the website. Um And I think also, the you know, maybe just to talk around, this is an ongoing study that Mm -hmm. we will be running every year. It's also running across the whole of um, EMEA. So it ran over the whole of EMEA, and next year it will go fully global. So it's also been interesting to look at how South Africa and what the preferences have been in South Africa and what the preferences are across the EMEA region. Um, And I think there we haven't seen a huge difference in terms of what South African employees and future employees are looking for in their working environment versus what the, you know, the Amir type employees are looking for. So we, there's very close alignment there um, in terms of, of, you know, what actually motivates people to, to choose an organisation to work in.
0: Fantastic. Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for your time then, Ms. Maura Jarvis, Associate Excellent. Director, People and Organisation Division at PwC.